0: Hello everybody and welcome to the fourth series of The Human Podcast, a place to hear extraordinary human stories that celebrate the limitless potential of human beings. So often, our personal stories of tragedy and survival are left untold, hidden behind the facade of our ordinary lives. Human has been created to make them more seen, more heard and more celebrated, because by doing so... I think we can all feel more connected to our shared humanity. So if the world is feeling like a dark or difficult place, join us and let your heart be ignited by the fire of the human spirit. So the person that we have with us today is somebody that I have wanted to have on this podcast for such a long time. And so it is a very, very special thing for me that she is our season four finale guest, absolutely incredible Zoe Buckman. Zoe is a multidisciplinary artist working in sculpture, installation and photography, exploring the themes of feminism, morality and equality. Zoe was born and raised in Hackney in London, but has lived and worked and raised her beautiful daughter for many years now in Brooklyn in New York after a series of triumphant shows Zoe is now being compared to and exhibited alongside some of the greatest feminist artists of our time, Louise Bourgeois Mary Kelly, Tracy Emin so it feels very very special to have this time with Zoe today to talk about her work possibly how her own stories are held within them and what it means to her to have arrived at this point in her career when it feels things are heading in a stratospheric direction for her. So Zoe, we've well, we' I'm in London, you're in New York, um, <laughs> but I feel like we're just sat next to, next to each other. <laughs> it's so, so lovely to have you. Um, before we get into anything else, my love, how are you today?
1: Oh, I'm so good. I'm really glad to be sitting down and chatting to you. Um, and I'm honoured to be your finale. Um- <laughs> <laughs> so are we. Yeah, truly. I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing right now. Oh, so thank
0: you. Oh, good. Me too, darling. Me too. So Zoe, um, I've heard you say that everything you've made has always been speaking to the female experience. Um, whether that is personal or political and your latest show is about our capacity to go through violence, miscarriage, heartbreak and abandonment but to choose joy. I just wondered if we could just start by you speaking to us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah for sure. Um, It's interesting because I'm I'm realising that I don't really make choices of like Oh, it's time I started embracing joy in my work. Like it's never been a cognizant choice. I've always created things in real time from either difficult experiences that I'm going through at the time or have just um, gone through um, or things that I find complicated and like ideas and issues that I'm grappling with. And and then I make the work. Um, And sometimes it's something that I'm figuring out, but there was definitely like a dark time when the work was therefore darker and I was more in the trenches of um, loss of my mother coming off the heels of a divorce. Mm -hmm. And I then found myself in a relationship in which my um, uh, sexual, emotional and physical self was under threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so the, the work was really exploring those things. and then I had, I guess I, I processed a lot of that. Um, and and I realized that I could engage more with this, I guess joy and wonderment, um, wonderment of of our capacity to metabolize pain. Um, it's not something particularly with grief and the loss of my mom. It's not something that I'm not there yet. Like, mm. and we'll get to this later. Like I'm not in a place of gratitude. Like I'm really fucking angry, mm. um, that she died. But I think when it comes to other losses and traumas and those include, you know, sexual assault, um, abortion, miscarriage, abandonment, these things, um, I am really appreciative of our, and when I say our, I mean like women and, and femme-bodied people, our capacity to um, to heal mm. and lean on each other. Mm. And so my work, this latest show, Blood Work, which was at Pippi Howsworth Gallery in London, um, there was still a lot of pain in the work, but there was more joy finally. Mm. And people said to me like oh how beautiful that like you're giving us hope right now when we all need it after the pandemic and all these things and I was like I guess my thinking is like it's awesome that people feel that way and that's really beautiful but it wasn't yeah. a cognizant choice like we all need a bit of joy it was that I realized that I could still connect to my inner well my inner source of creativity and joy and like reclaim myself mm. and in doing that particularly after heartbreak um I think you forge a stronger relationship to being alone and mm. you realize that you're surrounded by lots of women particularly here in New York because everyone's single we're all alone but none of us are alone mm. um, and so in that work there are a lot of depictions of um friends of mine Um, female or you know female presenting um, survivors of so many different things from Mm. illness death of a family member racism rape Um, and yet we all have this capacity to like use our bodies to express our joy and Mm. that's really what my last show was exploring. I just like dumped a lot on you right there. And no, like, I mean there's, <laughs> there's so posted. there's so
0: much there that I just want to pick up on. But but one of the things that you said about the impossible task of sort of metabolizing loss and certain traumas, um, you know, I think when it comes, you know, on you you, you know, you said you haven't fully metabolized the loss of your your mum yeah of course you haven't i don't don't think we ever do and it just made me think about Mm -hmm. like you know metabolizing some of these biggest most painful things we have to go to to go through is literally like ingesting fucking razor blades into the system that's how deeply they cut you open in the metabolizing process and um but then how interestingly out of those deep 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 wounds isn't it extraordinary how kind of beautiful things can grow from something Mm. so terrible? Do you know what I mean? And and how a terrible thing that happens is often actually not an ending. It's a new beginning and how Mm. incredible it is that from a terrible thing, these shoots of beauty can grow within it. And that's really just what it made me feel hearing you describe the work and how, you are expressing joy or the expression of joy from something, you know, from certainly a whole range of experiences for you which have been incredibly, incredibly challenging and Mm. difficult.
1: Yeah, you're so right. It's like we think about joy and melancholy or loss or grief as these sort of binaries, Mm. but of course, like experiencing one only further impacts your capacity to experience the other and um and your gratitude and your your ability any any trauma any loss takes a piece out of you but it also it it helps you see those missing pieces in other people and connect human to human on on a deeper level i i believe Mm -hmm. um like, I, I wouldn't want to get to the end of my life having not experienced loss and, um, you know, difficulty and adversity. And because and, like well, then you're not really engaged in the human condition in a real way and it mm. and it's not like because I want to be an artist and I want to be a tortured artist like it's not fucking fun none of this is fun mm. but um I do feel more grown and more strong now than I ever have and I know 100% it's because it's the overcoming mm. do you know what I mean it's the like it's the surviving and the overcoming that grows you up mm. and strengthens you to a place where like now frankly like men are terrified of me <laughs> I can't get a date with men I, I I can get dates with women easier than I can with men
0: um, <laughs> but it's like she's too strong now <laughs> mm. that's interesting isn't it <laughs> what do you think that's about though do you know what I mean I think it's because
1: they're now finally faced with somebody who doesn't need anything from them like mm. I might want something like I do want love I do want partnership mm. but I don't actually need it because I've had to figure out how to be whole without it
2: mm. um
1: and I think because men are so, a lot of, I'm speaking very invariably sort of like sweeping terms, I know in very gendered terms, but we're just going to have to go with it for today. Um, because cisgendered men are, I think, uh, sort of infected with toxic masculinity and I feel sorry for them for it. Mm. Um, they, they don't really know how to deal with somebody who doesn't need them and isn't a dependent. Mm. and um and so now I am finding that um yeah cis men run for the hills and it's like I'm all right with it I'm like bye mm. bye see you later there's another one mm. um but yeah I mean, later. I'm so to like <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> see you later dude sauce <laughs> <laughs> yeah god i mean there is um i mean there's so much i want to say i don't know if i can say it on the fucking record <laughs> another thing that really that really struck me in um what you were just saying in the answer to the, to, the, to my question before was the stuff around um how your work speaks to a kind of intergenerational experience as well. So your um, intergenerational, multi-generational experiences. And there's this, um, and again, I mean, that your kind of observation of those intergenerational experiences combined with what I think is as you say, you know, your own lived experience creates this incredibly potent heart and soul and and kind of language to what you do, Zoe, which is, I'm sure, why it's, you know, capturing the, the minds and hearts and imaginations of people all over the world now. And um, I was really struck by this um, in the case of just what I've... I mean, I haven't seen the whole film, but just online of the Show Me Your Bruises Then film, which... Mm-hmm. Um, is this amazing short film that was written and performed and directed by you, uh, featuring uh, Kush Jumbo and Sienna Miller. Um, and it's all based on a poem of the same name, a kind of free-form poem that you wrote. And um, the film is described as building a portrait of the multi-generational experience of domestic violence and explores the shame and stigma prescribed to the female body in patriarchal society. Mm. I'd just love for you to tell us a little bit more about that.
1: yeah. yeah. um thank you for mentioning the film because it really is i I think it's the work that I'm most proud of, really. and it oh. and it feels like, yeah, it's interesting because it's almost like it kind of encapsulates so much of what I've been working on. Previously, it almost like goes backwards in time as well as forward for me Mm. and my artistic practice. Um, But yeah, basically the reason, like the way that that started, it was 2018 and my mum was still alive, though she was sick. Um, And it was right after like the Me Too moment burst open. um, And I was asked by the New York Times to write a short essay about my experience in 2018. And I knew that what they wanted me to do was write about, um, you know, violence. Um, And I decided, they told me that the essay could be as abstract as I wanted it to be. So I decided to weave together little snippets of um, conversations and things that men had said to me and things that I had said to men. And at the time I was in this relationship where I wasn't safe, but because my mum was dying, I wasn't ready. Mm. to face that and I kind of clung to it and wanted to keep up appearances which is a whole Mm. whole other thing um and so I started to weave together this little poem and I sent it off to the New York Times and they said it was way too abstract so I parked that there and I wrote them something much more basic and then I sent it to my mom and she loved it Mm. and she was like Mm you're 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 really onto something here go 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 she was my biggest cheerleader um and I what I'm so I have so much regret about and guilt over the fact that it wasn't until after she died that I expanded the text and I started to bring in some some of her experiences and her writing um I don't know why I didn't do that before and I I wish so much that she could see how she's in my work um so much and but I didn't I didn't really put her in my work before when she was alive and nothing would have made her feel more proud or more honored. Um and I didn't fucking do it and it like brings me to the tears when I think about about what I could what I could have shown her. And so- it's not like I wrote it because I wanted to make that right. But my mum was so massively a survivor um, of a, assault in the home, growing up, um, sexual abuse, rape later in um, as a young woman, um, a survivor of like anti-Semitism, and then a survivor of cancer. Um, and she had done this writing for the BBC, for BBC Radio 4 she would written this play about her experience of coming on her period for the first time. Because in um, the Jewish tradition, women, some women, if, if your family does it, are slapped around the face when they get their first period by the matriarch of the family. And my mum didn't know that that was coming and she didn't know to expect it. And her grandmother slapped her. And um, and she wrote, it's supposed to bless the baby but she was really like the baby that you might have um which again is also like problematic like just because I'm bleeding doesn't mean I'm gonna like bear children but whatever um she had written this radio play about that experience and I took some I after she passed I took some of her text, and I and I weaved it into this poem I took things that um other women had said to me of like diff- different um ethnicities and different generations mm. um And I expanded the writing and then because I was in a place where I was no longer in um, that aforementioned relationship, I was then able to really address it in the work and show me your bruises then. Um, So this three page poem became seven pages and I then showed it to Kush Jumbo and Sienna Miller and um, asked them if they would be up for bringing it to life. And so the three of us created this
0: 17-minute um, um, video work. Mm. Yeah, Zoe, can I just say to you, darling, that you know your the 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 courage, the conviction, the emotional intelligence, the fearlessness, the your ability to you know create work work which connects has meaning is disruptive is you know visionary is you know you've done that since you started and your mum saw every single part of that and that was given to you sounds like so much from your mum yeah. you know so I what I'm saying to you is I don't think there needed to be an explicit named mention of her in your work, for it to be so clear, certainly from the outside, how the spirit and influence and honouring of the person that your mum was is laced into every single part of what you do. Thank you. And, you know, just from the outside and sort of seeing, you know everything that you went through with her illness and her passing and then, but just seeing the bigger picture of what you've done for, for for years really. And then just learning a little bit more about the person that your mum was. For me, I was just like, you know, there was that just correlation. Wow. Look at this incredible mother she has. And that is just so comes through in everything that you do, everything that you are. It didn't need to happen in a, in one specifically named moment. It's just, innate in every single thing that you are and your mum knew that of course she did thank you so much of course she did of course she did of course she did darling don't have regret about that don't carry that around yeah don't do it yeah don't do it I mean I I feel things all the time that I wish I'd done there there before and it's like what there is not a, a world, any, any world in which your mum wouldn't have known and seen and burst with pride every day yeah. at what you did. And to be able to sort of see how she had, you know, the role that she had played in raising this extraordinary young woman who was yeah. taking all of that spirit that she had, you know, shown to you through your whole life and, and turning it into something which is your own you yeah. know what more could yeah, you ask right. as a mother do you know you're what i right. mean yeah thank you, you, you gave her that gift throughout your whole life your whole life and definitely i'm sure you know the work that she saw of yours in a sort of professional capacity you know spelt that out to her so don't carry that around you said earlier about you know how grief there are all of these things that you know definitely about grief and gratitude and all these other things but those very, very dark, chaotic yeah. feelings involved in grief as well. And rage yeah. is is a massive one of them. Rage yeah. and regret and all these horrible, horrible things. There is absolutely no way in which, you know, your mum was not as proud of you as she could have been, even if, you know, we could have had them for 20, 30, 40, 50 more years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's like... We also
1: know that nothing would vex them more than us carrying around something like that. Mm. Nothing would make our mums more vexed than to know that we were carrying around like unnecessary pain um, as a result of their passing. And so Mm. I remind remind myself of that as much as I can. But it's also, it's like, it's so hard because you're like, but I am fucking angry, and I do feel bad about that. And I know, like, I know that my mum would be so devastated to know how unhappy I've been Mm -hmm. about her death. Does that make any sense? Like, my mum had this mantra, you know, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And she would take into, like, her body and her being and every fibre of her emotion, like, any of our anxiety or pain or whatever. My mum would lose sleep, you know, even... if her grandkids were waiting on finding out if they're getting get in get into a school, my mum wouldn't sleep. If someone was going through something, my mum was terribly, like, wracked with anxiety as an empath for her mm. children or her grandchildren. And so I know that she would hate how much pain I've been in mm. about, specifically about her passing. And mm. yet,
0: you, I just am. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I know, darling, I know, I feel the same. And, you know, when people say to you, oh, God, your mum wouldn't want you to be sad, you're like, yeah, but if if it was that fucking easy, then that would be great. It's like, you can't, and that's part, what's so hard about it is you you can't turn it off. I know there's, as you do, there's nothing in the world that would make my mum or your mum feel worse than to think of how unbearably sad we have been since... Each of our mums died. But that in and of itself can't stop the feeling. And it's, yeah, I know. It's so, I think it's helpful sometimes when I think about it in terms with my kids, and maybe you have this with your daughter as well. I do sometimes think, God, imagine, you know, the day when, you know, I'm no longer here you would want nothing more than the girls just to be okay and to not feel yeah. and sort of, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that sometimes helps a little bit, but I also just think it's this thing of time you use the words metabolize, which is exactly the a word that I found myself using because it is that it's, it's more than processing. It's like metabolizing is something which literally has to work through the deepest, deepest yeah. part of your system but I also think, and this is something else I've heard you say, that, you know, when somebody as close to you as your, as both of our mothers was, as your mother was, dies, you, there's a huge part of you that dies with them. Yeah. And the thing that I wasn't prepared for, and I can I can see this in some of the beautiful things you've written about your loss story as well, which is that no one prepared me for the fact that The death of my mother... And I think this probably goes for the death of somebody who's... Of anyone who's deeply, 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 deeply close to you. With the death of them, a very real part of you dies too. Because ultimately, I think we exist in relation... Obviously, there's a huge part of us which is total in ourselves. But huge parts of us exist only in relationship to people. And so... The part of us which existed only in relationship to that person, particularly if they are a huge psychological part of who you are, literally dies with them. So when they, this person dies, not only are you grieving them, but you're also deeply grieving a very huge psychological part, you know existential part of yourself that doesn't exist anymore as well the missing yeah. parts of yourself which have died with Absolutely. them and no no one Absolutely. prepares you for for how existential that experience of grief is yeah it's a complete yeah. re- reconfiguration of yourself you know self with a capital s in yeah a true in the truest way yeah yeah because there's also this whole
1: role that was part of your identity but part of like what you what you spent a lot of your time doing which was being a daughter to mm. your mother and suddenly that role is just cut off um and with it all this wisdom which like i constantly now because my daughter is going through you know preteen becoming a a, a, a woman changes and I don't fucking remember what it was like to be... Mm. Like, I remember little bits here and there in a cloud of weed smoke about around the time when I got my first period and whatnot. But I want to be able to go back to my mum and be like, okay, did I tell you I hate... When did... When? What was the first time that I told you I hated you? Because I know a mother never forgets that. I, mm. I haven't forgotten the first time Cleo yelled through tears, I hate you. Mm. And, like, I want to know... there's so much like wisdom and insight that I'm seeking right now and I don't want to hear it from somebody else's mum I want to know what I was like then what it was like in the house then and you know that died with my mum my dad I didn't speak to my dad about that stuff he was not your guy when it when it came to becoming a woman and now here I am raising um my kids and um and so i'm like i guess with grief when you lose someone like a like a mum, assuming you were you were close and they were a guide and they were you know a friend there's gonna be in our life you and i that we're gonna be confronted with that loss time and time again mm. in ways that we might not even expect
0: mm. Well, I think the loss is is so multidimensional that it takes, you know, it constantly reveals itself in new ways and unexpected ways. And you you don't know just until time just happens. And you, it's why sometimes, you know, you you even experience their loss in the smallest, most mundane things many years afterwards. And those are moments that still have the power to floor you. You know, it's like there's not a single part of, of your world that that loss doesn't touch <laughs> and so yeah. you almost have to kind of walk through the whole scope of your world which you know all the places that you go to the things that you do the people you see the music you listen to the food that you eat the times that you have you almost have to revisit every single one of those things again to yeah. really experience the full scope of it and it keeps revealing itself of course yeah that kind of intersection between motherhood and the thing of just how important and I know that your, a lot of your work kind of leans into this, the stuff around kind of interge- like the importance of kind of intergenerational threads between women and it's just the most painful separation isn't it when as a mother you feel kind of just severed from the source of this like ultimate wisdom and love and you know guidance and it's still to this day I think the thing I find hardest about my mum dying not only my own loss but that lack of you know I don't know
1: it's yeah you're right it's like yes I I completely know what you mean it's that line it's it's like that um that thread and connection to like your past and your mum's past and like falling in line with your ancestral heritage Mm. and you have to try really really hard if you want to re like the world is changing so fast now like it's with the death of our mothers it's like we get further and further away from our um ancestral past and I I think in a way that it feels maybe every generation feels this way but I feel like the leaps that have occurred in the last 50 years have Mm. just been so astronomical that it's like you really have to like double down on trying to connect to like what life was like for your grandparents or when your mum was a kid and whatnot Mm. and the more that they go the less um, access you have to
0: that knowledge yeah and so I see I really it's, it's so amazing like talking to you about this because I've there's lots of this that I kind of I've and again it's a testament to how powerfully you manage to express these things in your work but it's that's so manifest in your work for me this kind of you know there's how like all of your Pieces somehow bear traces of. They kind of speak to that thing of the traces of the past and, you know, using vintage fabrics and, you know, and that sense of they feel incredibly contemporary in their commentary, but just the kind of use of the older fabrics and these very old traditional techniques that you use kind of just really imply that sense of kind of looking backwards as well and honoring the importance of kind of intergenerational experience and how, you know, you can take the sort of metaphor of the threads and the wheat, I mean, you can, you know, into so many and how we are all connected and how all these experiences are connected and, um, yeah and it just there's something about the you know your work and which I mean literally maybe I'm taking the metaphor too far now which really binds us all together in this in our shared experiences as as women that is why I think it's it's proving to have such a universal voice and is starting to kind of become as sort of well-known as It is because I think it really speaks to a lot of the universal experience. And, um, thank you. Yeah, I, I, no, I, am I picking I up on the right thing do. there? No, absolutely. <laughs> that's
1: the, I, I. I want people to have those experiences. You're like, All right, Jess, why... stop getting so
0: fucking deep about no, it. No, it's just <laughs> 100, it. let's keep it. it. But is that right? No, because that's how I sort 100%. of saw it. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're, you're dead on because that's why I've chosen. I, I use, as you know, a, like mainly textiles, mm. and within that a hell of a lot of hand embroidery and I use vintage textiles. And now I'm even like collecting and sewing with um, vintage threads, they're they're prettier. Um, But also I like to, I want to speak to like universal truths and experiences and how like some things are age old and the sort of like not just, um inherited trauma but like also inherited creativity and joy and um caretaking and like I know that that's not a great term but I guess what I'm trying to say is that some things are inevitable um women are gonna have their power taken away from them like we're seeing this there's things are going backwards here in America um and you know, all over the world, it's like, where is the actual progress that we can anchor to when it comes to the female experience, like, we're gonna have our power taken away from us in some way, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, or any combination of those. And that's more likely to happen in the home. Mm. And that's most likely to happen in our intimate relationships with men. So that's kind of an inevitability um another one is that we're gonna probably want to and endeavor to cover that up Mm -hmm. and not speak about it brush it under the rug make it taboo take away the stain take away the blood um put it on a hot wash whatever that is um and find euphemisms and that's another thing that we inherit is this like the stigma is like one we inherit the thing that happens to us and then we inherit the stigma and shame and um like self-blame mm. about the thing that happened or happens to us and then on the flip side what we inherit particularly in the home and this is more kind of antiquated and traditional, but I think that it will like morph into other modalities. But women typically looking back, we are the caretakers and the homemakers. And there is actually like, although that can be quite oppressive um, and can be put on us, there is also this like joy um and creativity in that. Mm. And so a lot of why I enjoy to use um, vintage textiles is because I'm looking at how like this doily or this tea towel or this tablecloth or pillowcase or whatever it is came from hundreds of years ago and some and it's seen some days and some nights and mm. some home and it's probably witnessed some trauma but also like some woman
0: fucking loved it's already got it. a I story to, by the like, time you even exactly. use it yeah yeah
1: mm. It's not a blank canvas, which makes it like so easy to build upon that. And then another thing that I want to look at in the work as well is when I think about any difficult experience that I've had, it's always been my friends, my either female friends or female family members that have rallied around me, and that's what we do. Like we make food and we take it over. Like this person has just given birth. Oh, I'm gonna make them my special sanitary's house with like lavender and aloe and I'm going to freeze them, I'm going to take it over to my girlfriend's house because oh she's going to want to sit on one of those and that's what we do and you're like oh no my friend's just been left and dumped like right, bring on the food vodka also Mm. Um, and these things are age old are um, capacity to hold each other and I feel sorry that that is less of um, a tradition for for men and in male relationships this kind of like I don't know rallying and 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 showing up in these loving nurturing soft ways mm.
2: um
1: and I, I feel very glad that we can lean into that softness for each other and for ourselves mm. and so all that to say like the textiles that I use and the embroidery like I want it to do two things like I want it to speak to like all of the shit that we have had to go through generationally that we, that we really shouldn't have to anymore but we do as well as like all the pleasure that we have found within these spaces. Mm.
2: I think the way in which women
0: can hold each other in, 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 in relationships and in, in friendships has. It's, it's the, it's the most. Well, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. It's the most all-encompassing of any relationship I have. It's the, it is the relationships that, yeah, are they are the, my relationships which literally hold the full spectrum of who I am, like no other. Do you know what I mean? It's like everything is in the mix of that relationship. There's nothing which is restrained from it or hidden from it or you are fully your whole, well, speaking from my own experience, but it sounds like this is mirroring what you're saying. There is this capacity within female friendships to be the full wholeness of who you are in that relationship in a way that you can't quite in any other relationship, but I don't family members you know my partner I mean he yeah he gets a lot of me but there's part of me who's like he doesn't want to even fucking know that bit of me (laughs) get that bit of get that bit of you away from me Um, but do you know what I mean but with girls it's not that you're just like you are the full rawest fucking wholest version of yourselves together nobody holds you like you're female well for me no one holds me like my female Relationships holding 100% mm. in the
1: way that you need in that mm. moment. Like, we you and I connected because of our mutual friend, Rose or Denton. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, in it. That's yeah, how we, totally.
1: how we yeah, know each yeah, other. Yeah, and Rose yeah.
0: is like, Rose is hi, Rose. Like cool. You better be listening to like this, Rose. Rose. Hi, Rose. <laughs> love
1: you. She's best, listen. You know, she in living. Rose is like, my blood. She mm. is, she's blood, and she has sat at my mum's kitchen table and cried as a teenage girl. My mum's like mm. wiped her tears, roses. Mm. Get, my mum's handed rose My my mum's weed box, roses, rolled the spliff, because my mum could never bill up cute, <laughs> and um <laughs> you know, like we've had so many nights around my mum's kitchen table. It was like and then when i moved to new york when i would come back and visit and i would stay with my mum and she was you know she put flowers in my little bedroom and mm. she was the first person i'd see when i get off the flight and all the things my first night in london it was always like right when is rose coming over and mm. like, that's how deep it is yeah. and then when i that relationship that like i was in the two-year relationship that, um, where i experienced this um assault and trauma really weird because Rose happened to be staying at my house when I was sexually assaulted by this man and and Rose was the person that I went to the next morning and didn't tell her the whole truth told her half um I wasn't even ready to like really speak out loud fully what had happened like the part b of that night but it's amazing to me, like some kind of angel sent Rose to be in, in my home mm. during that time. Yeah. And then when that relationship ended, I got on a flight. And um, when I landed, Rose was there with tequila and she just held me while I wept. And so it's like, mm. basically, what I'm trying to say is thank God. Thank God for Rose. Thank God for our girls. I'm really glad that yeah. I know you because of her. And I'm glad that you have women like that in your life too. I think we all need our our Gaudem, our inner mm. core, our sisters.
0: Zoe, there was something that I did want to talk about, CHAMP, because yeah. particularly in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how particularly now in America, you know, women's bodies and women's ability to make choices in the best interest of their bodies and their lives is is more compromised now than it has been in the last, like, many dec- decades. Um, yeah. With, obviously, abortion no longer being protected under the Constitution in, in many, many yeah. states in America. And I know that that's meant that your work, CHAMP, which for any listeners who might not know, you must look it up, it's, it's incredible. It's a 43-foot neon um of a uterus overlook which is now which for the last is it four years has been installed over hollywood boulevard since 2018 um and in the place of the ovaries are a pair of boxing gloves and um from what i understand so it was made in the run-up to the 2016 u.s election Mm. um amid all of you know big sort of political conversations around consent and abortion contraception and and rape and obviously all the kind of tremors of, of Me Too. Um, but, you know, six years later, yeah, where things have only gone regressed even further, where, as I said, abortion is no longer, no longer protected under the Constitution in America, um, that piece has taken on a whole new meaning, hasn't it? And it's seen... I mean, I've seen it, you know, in many places being used as a, as a symbol of that fight um yeah. that must feel pretty amazing to see that piece of work kind of take on a whole new like life in in that world of sort of activism now as well yeah yeah it's totally um it's totally a double edged sword
1: um because i i never wanted the piece to become more relevant um yeah. but it's gotten increasingly more relevant like i when i made it i it was really just like, I was super frustrated with what I was seeing on the news and like flooding all the channels with all of these politicians, these fucking old white guys sitting around debating what is rape, what is rape, rape, what is abortion because of of rape and all of this shit and I had had a personal experience by then of abortion as well as other obstetric, you know, difficulty. And I just felt like there's a war on us. Like we, like I never imagined that there would be an abortion ban in certain states. And furthermore, that there would even be legislation to have people rat each other out. There's now like financial incentive in certain states where like if you know of a doctor performing an illegal abortion, if you rat on them, you get paid. Like this is after a pandemic when people are struggling financially. Like they, people will be making a career out of this. Like mm. I'm a professional ratter now. I just like hang out and like, like fucking, you know, listen I'm in. What... Rat. I mean, I'm an abortion rat. I mean, you fucking kidding me? That's how I'm gonna get paid? Because you know what? Fuck the state. The state never looked after me anyway fuck women, I'm the, you know what, they're on their own, I'm going to get, like, they could even be women doing it as well, like, these raps, like, it's that deep, like, and the patriarchy is that, intre- it's just so fucked. Um, sorry, tangent. But when I made this piece, it was really more about what I was experiencing, what I was thinking about, my rage, and also my, like, oh, like, we're fucking light. like, there's lights in us for fuck's sake, and so I made it small, Um, it had to sort of anatomically work with the boxing gloves that I was carrying I found in my bag, I was um, training at the time, and so I kind of like drew it out on my studio wall, I pinned the boxing gloves up, and I was like, okay, if those are ovaries, that means a uterus has to be about this big, drew it out, sketched it, got it made in neon, showed it a little bit, I exhibited it um, in a group show in Chelsea before the election. I, this is this is the only, to my knowledge, bad review. I'm not trying to tempt fate. Listen, when it happens, it happens. But um, so there was a writer, um, cisgender white man, who reviewed that show and said, oh. And Zoe Buckman's piece screams, we're still fighting for our rights. Oh, fuck off. I, um, I Fuck off, suck my dick. I met him <laughs> years later or maybe like a year later and he came up to me and he was like, hi, you're Zoe Buckman. And I said, yeah, and he was like, I'm really sorry. I wrote that article and you're right. You you are still fighting for your rights. I was like, oh, oh, wow, thanks. I'm going to get a drink now.
2: Yeah. Um, but
1: anyway. You're fucking twat. Again, I digress. Yeah. Twat. Um, no one, everyone thought Hillary Clinton about to become the first female president. Like,
2: mm. bitches
1: be quiet. There's nothing to complain about. Um, I... I was one of the people that thought Hillary Clinton was about to become the first female president of the United States. But I still knew no, whoever's in that top seat, like we must be afraid, very afraid <laughs> on a personal mm-hmm. level, on a governmental level, legislatively, even like, you know, if you look at the whole of America, if you look at the whole of the globe. No, we need a neon uterus. I'm going to make this peace. But I just didn't expect that then, boom. Donald Trump's president and then that piece is like everywhere it's on um there's images of it in the women's march and Mm -hmm. then art production funds this um organization came to me and they said do you want to make this huge and we'll put it on Sunset Boulevard and I said yes and we did that and then it sort of coincided with you know in LA everything blowing up in Hollywood and me too and then boom it was more relevant again and then Supreme Court and it kind of like had this new life and new people were sharing images of it. And like, basically in answer to your question, now when I see it, I now associate it with, oh God, what has just happened? Mm. Like when, when I see that someone's shared it online, I'm like, oh no, wait, is there a new piece of news that um, hasn't updated yeah. on my CNN app, you know? Right. So I don't really like it anymore, to be honest mm. with you. I want it to go away. Mm. If anyone wants to buy it, contact my gallery. Mm. Um, but I don't
0: want to look at it anymore. Well, it also just is, just listening to you to, just, to describe, you know, just over the last sort of four to six years that that piece has been in, in existence in its different forms, you know the multiple different moments of which it's kind of risen up to be a symbol of yet another moment of you know representing a kind of the resistance from from women to to you know the amount that constantly needs to be fought against and it's like just in different guises, but it's, just, it's yeah. just the same same thing but dressed up in a different guise you know and it's it's the relentlessness of that isn't it yeah. It's the relentlessness and and and, it, yeah. and yeah. For God, that's really interesting, Zoe, to think of thing if you think of it like that. Um, but it's also I hate my uterus. <laughs> no, but it is. But it is interesting for me when I see it. I it's it's also a symbol of hope. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It does embody right. that as well, and it does. It I think it it does embody hope. Um, you're right. I have to I have to connect to that because I, I've, I've had so
1: many beautiful emails from women about that seeing that in in that piece and I remember mm. I was at like a an art event and this woman came up to me and she was like i I put your piece as my screensaver on my mm. phone after I had a miscarriage mm. and it was such a dark dark time for me and just looking at it and it brought her solace and hope and mm. reminded her of her intrinsic strength and, and yeah. resilience and, and beauty, you know, mm. beauty on the inside, beauty on the outside, you've got this. Yeah. And I was like, boom, right there, thank you. Mm. Like, mm. that makes it,
0: that makes it, that makes me happy. That mm. feels like success to me. That's mm. what success is. Well, it's the, it's the power of sort of... It is, it is the kind of incomparable power of art as well. The way that it can, you know, you know, find its way into so many different people's lives, and it to acquire its own and often evolving and changing meaning. <laughs> you know, it yeah. has, it has a, a, a life, an enduring life of its own. So Zoe, listen. I mean. I wish you were around the corner so we could go and pick this oh, up at the fucking pub. yes <laughs> but you're not. Although I might get on I a plane know. and come and see you in, in New York.
2: <laughs>
1: we, we, the pubs aren't as good, but we could we could go for for a cocktail. Yeah. I'll make you a beer. Oh, I'll make you a beer. <laughs>
0: Listen, I'm going to make that happen. I'm actually going to make it happen. But listen, as we move into the sort of the the the, the, the closing parts of oh, this amazing time we've had with you, Zoe, um, I wanted to ask you, what does courage feel like? Wow, that's such an awesome... No
1: one has ever asked me that. I feel like courage has a has a heat to it, mm. because it's something that's like because I think that that heat creates power, right? And it's so it's like something that you can use like a fuel, but it's also a little bit scary in the way mm. that heat is, and simultaneously comforting. And I feel like courage encapsulates all of that. like i the times when I felt courageous or where I felt in touch with my inner courage. I've been very grateful for it and um, but it can also be scary Mm. and I think particularly um, I think you know especially for marginalized people because we're we're not um, encouraged (laughs) to um, connect with that and Mm. so it can come with with like a kind of Um, handle with caution warning Mm. a sense of it you know Mm. Um, but so yeah I would say it 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 feels warm dangerous and at the same time like vital and and life-giving amazing I love that we've never had that answer before (laughs) I love that you know you know the time where I felt most powerful in my whole life was when I was given birth and I was shit scared, but I also wasn't, it was really, really, there was so much going on all at once. And it was almost like, I didn't have time to eat. I didn't have the capacity to even think or feel right. Mm. Because I had this one thing to do and I'm doing this one thing. And it's only like some months and weeks afterwards that I was able to even reflect back. Mm. But I remember I've never felt so in control Mm. and I've never felt so powerful. And Mm. I, I had I was fortunate and I did it without pain medication, I did it at home. But I was able to like for the first time in my life kind of command my space myself mm. and and I knew somewhere from from somewhere else whether it was ancestral or internal or both, like I knew what to do. Mm. And I've never obviously done it before. I've only done it once. And somehow I knew what to do, and and being being put in touch with that strength and that courage cracked me open in ways where I was able to say, "I am an artist. I have something mm. to say," and that started everything.
0: For
2: me. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And it was frightening, like that I was an animal. I became an animal. God, I mean, this is a whole other thing to respond to that for me birth is birth our experience well the experience of birth like the experience of death is the ultimate lesson in what is bearable Mm -hmm. as a human being and um that's the first thing the second thing is there is that moment isn't there in birth where you suddenly feel yourself split from human to mammal. And suddenly Mm. it's just like, and just what you just said about the intergenerational sort of that, that feeling of being connected to something intergenerational. When I was giving birth, I had this sort of transcendental like moment where um, it was the same. I was at home and I didn't have any pain medication, but it wasn't actually, I shouldn't have been because I was actually really high risk. I went into like, Mm. I basically gave birth in, I had a really like 52 hours of like having contractions <gasps> seven hours apart, seven minutes apart, oh, sorry, seven minutes apart. And then I went from that to literally middle earth, death roar, I'm giving birth I'm so in, in like in, in 90 seconds. No, oh my God. Yeah, and so I didn't even have a midwife with me and I was really high risk and I was meant to be on a ward, delivered by an obstetrician, all of that stuff. And I was on my own with my husband and uh, they a paramedic arrived like, literally a minute and a half before I pushed my baby out and caught her. And the midwife was on the phone and that was it. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But there was this one moment you talk about being scared and I just had this moment of just like, Oh my fucking God. I cannot believe it. I'm giving birth. This is absolutely fucking insane. And I'm on my own. And I've been told if I had birth, I couldn't even have birth in the, in the birth ward because I was birth center because I was told that it was too dangerous for me. And there's this oh moment God, where, where God. the midwife is saying, you're going to have to push the baby out now. Next contraction. And I was like, okay, I need to push this baby. I need to do it now. Well, not I didn't have a choice because it was happening anyway. And I was like, is this the moment that I'm going to die? as i'm giving birth oh to my, my God. as i'm giving birth to my daughter and it all happened in the space of like 10 minutes really fast but i suddenly had this moment where i suddenly felt connected to every woman past present and future who has done this thing of passing life through them and forward and i just went oh and i just thought i can fucking do it and i just fucking pushed her out and she was perfect and I was fine. Oh and it was like, what the fuck? And the whole room just collapsed. And I tell you, it was my mum arrived 30 seconds before I gave birth. And she was there oh. reaching over the paramedic, like, holding on to me. And she was oh. fucking shitting herself as well because she knew that how dangerous this was. And the whole room just, like, collapsed and, like, burst into tears of, like, joy and relief. And my baby girl was there and I couldn't... It was oh fucking God. insane. But it is that thing going back to this intergenerational thing. That was, you like... You are a legend
1: what
0: a fucking story no babe but it's, it came you are to a me fucking legend well, but I did,
1: yes that, a connection, I didn't have it, inter- but I also
0: I didn't have a fucking choice I just I did not yeah. have a choice and you just do you have to do what you've got to fucking do but that thing yeah. that you're talking about that intergenerational sort of moment of like yeah. it honestly I could feel connected to every woman in the world giving birth in that moment and it helped me fucking it pushed me over the edge wow. it was incredible Incredible! The most terrifying, exhilarating, excruciating, like transcendental, like awe-inspiring, terrifying—like every single fucking thing you can imagine is there in that moment, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just pure raw experience. It's Mm.
1: pure raw, pure raw mammal. Like you said, it's everything? Did you get the Middle Earth Death Do you? It yeah, went to some next level. I think that's why I still have a croaky voice. <laughs> <laughs> I think i <laughs> one of my vote giving that.
0: I can't even smoke cigarettes anymore. Oh my god, that's just fucking finished me off. I so know. I think we should all have that. All fucking women who give birth should walk around with a quirky (laughs) voice. Fucking hell. And the rest, Jesus Christ. (laughs) oh that's amazing Um, all right sorry one more thing before we go if there is one person in the world that you'd want to be proud of you and they can be alive or they could have passed away who would that be and why well I want my mum to be proud of me but I know she
1: is Mm. and I want my I want my daughter to be proud of me but I think she is. Mm. But I I hope that I hope that she continues to be. So I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say my daughter Clean. Amazing. Yeah. We'll see. Remains to be seen, we'll find
0: out. Oh.
1: Life I fucking tell love you. Sure tell I'm star- I I'm, love
0: getting you. On- I'm getting on skyscanner now and I'm really sorry. It's 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 yes. um I don't know if you think that's a promise or a threat, but I am gonna I love <laughs> it. I'm giving to- the kettle is
1: on and the bed is made. Please
0: come through. <laughs> oh my god wicked amazing darling this has been so brilliant so good sorry thank you you for all you are for all you do for being the most incredible finale season finale guest for us in this series of human you're just amazing Mm you're just amazing thank you so much and so listen in true human form we ask our guests every week to play us out with a song so oh. if there is a song that you would dedicate to this conversation what would it be and why
1: it's gonna be um it's my anthem it's called flowers by a sweet female attitude this is for the Gaudem, this is for love this is for joy And this is for Hackney. And this is for you, Jess.
0: Thank you, darling. Here we have (laughs) it. Thank
1: you for having me. Thank you, Zoe. Bye, love. Bye, darling.
0: Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to rate, review and subscribe to us on your podcast app, then please do. And you know the score, five stars, please. If you'd like to come and say hello on Instagram, then you can find me and all things human podcast related at This Is Jess Mills. This podcast was created and hosted by me, Jess Mills, with creative co-production by Bonnie Tiedemann and produced by Joel Porter at dot dot dot.